Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Creatokia podcast. My name is Videl, and I'm the head of audio at Bookwire, and I'm joined today by Jens. Hi, Jens. Hi, Videl. And we also uh, have the great pleasure of being joined today by a real NFT expert uh, in the marketplace, Dr. Theo Pham. Hi, Theo. It's great to have you with us today. Right, Jens? Yeah, absolutely. I had the pleasure to talk to Theo uh, in the first episode of the German version of the Creatokia podcast. And now I'm very happy as we switch to English uh, that we can, well, catch up a little bit on the first episode. Things have changed already quite a bit since then, uh, but some things are still, well, still need some explanation. So we are very happy to introduce Theo also to our English audience now. And uh, I think we have a ton of questions what the hell is going on, on in the NFT space? And Theo, maybe you can just say a few words about yourself and how you got an NFT expert uh, uh, over time. Yeah, so I've been kind of a trend researcher in the digital space for the last 10 years. And primarily, I had been interested in things like e-commerce, digital marketing, and social media. And about a year ago, I started dabbling in NFTs. I had all, I have always been somewhat interested in crypto but not really in the financial aspects of that. So I'm not too much into, say, decentralized finance and things like that. And I think I really got hooked into crypto when I discovered NFTs. I think I bought my first NFT in January. And uh, since, and in the, especially in the past couple of months, it has like completely taken over my life. So I'm doing research on NFTs all day long. Uh, I give um, I give talks about trends in NFTs, about Web3 and the metaverse in general. I work with companies and I also run a German Discord community. Um, it just started a few weeks ago. There's already two and a half thousand people who basically spend all day on the Discord, which also shows you the kind of enthusiasm that this new topic of NFTs kind of yeah inspires in people. Great. It's a bit it's a bit the same like our story because we got so much infected of <laughs> NFTs over the last nine months. And um maybe um Videl, if you don't have the first question, I just I just start here. So the first time we spoke, Theo, in, in the first episode, we looked at many projects. So um I think that's a good start maybe for this episode too, to look at some NFT projects before we go into the crazy details of NFTs. That let's look at some projects in the US and, and what what did Get, what did raise your attention when you first looked into NFTs? So I first heard about NFTs when people talked about digital art. So all of a sudden, you could not only make art in the digital space, and that has been around for a long time, but with NFTs, with non-fungible tokens, there was actually a way to make um, things scarce, so to create digital scarcity, and also to have a very clear owner. So people couldn't just like uh, right-click and save the pictures. As some people always like to joke about NFTs, like, hey, you can just uh, save the pictures and everybody can use it. But actually only one person, one crypto wallet can actually own it and then do lots and lots of things with it, like sell it to other people. But nowadays, NFTs can also serve as access tokens. So there are some communities, websites, or Discord channels that are only accessible if you own the right kind of token. So I think NFTs first started off with just digital art it's just a picture or maybe even a piece of text or maybe a music song that people can own and over time there has been a lot of utility added to nfts because nfts like digital tokens are basically like uh yeah like the smallest possible programmable unit and because they're programmable you can do pretty much anything with them so even with all of the use cases that we see out there today I think the sky's really the limit in terms of what you can do with NFTs. Well, if the sky's the limit, then um, um, I mean, maybe it would be it would be really interesting to hear a little bit about what was happening um, when you first got into into NFTs. I mean, is it really even an industry? But it is. I mean, it's a phenomenon. What was happening? What were the first things that kind of really got it going? So I think. The NFT space got a lot of attention at the start of the year when this digital artist called Beeple sold one of his yeah, great works at Christie's, I think, for $69 million. We heard, the, we heard the big headlines about that. Yeah, and that was really, really big because everybody thought, okay, why the hell would you sell? Or why isn't a digital image like worth $69 million? And I think it was also important that it went through a big yeah, renowned institution like uh, Christie's because it added a lot of legitimacy. 
and it's also a very known buyer. Um, so it's like a, a big, a very well-known entrepreneur in the crypto space who bought the piece of art. Uh, because in the past, people would maybe be uh, skeptical of NFTs, whether, uh, I don't know, it's like even like illicit uh, illicit transactions or anything. But nowadays, you can really see that very well-known collectors are buying NFTs, but even big companies are buying into NFTs, say like Visa, who also bought uh, CryptoPunk, which we'll cover later on. Um, and also lots of other companies are now involved, are getting involved with NFTs, fashion brands like, say, Dolce & Gabbana, um, who either collect NFTs themselves, invest in NFTs, or create some because they think that in this increasingly digital world, the metaverse, that people will value digital products at least as much or even more than physical products. I mean, that, that's really the interesting point about NFTs, isn't it? Like they kind of bridge the way between physical and digital world. Don't you think that, that this is something just for, for young people? Or how do you look at this looking at like the, uh, the older generations? I think for younger people, it's definitely easier to understand at first because they're very used to buying digital stuff in video games. Like people, like young people are used to playing things like Fortnite and then they will buy, say, a digital skin for lots and lots of money. But then the problem is, even though they bought the skin, it doesn't really belong to them. They can't do anything with it outside of the video game. So whenever, say, the Fortnite servers would shut down or the, firm, or the company would go bust, then all of the digital items are gone. And what you want to do with NFTs is that they're decentralized. They don't belong to one company. They actually belong to you. It's written on the blockchain. Everyone knows who the uh, actual owner is. And then so you can take digital items from one place to the other, as you can do in the physical world. Like when you own the, your iPhone, you can use it in your own house and you can take it to someone else's house, but it's still your phone, right? And the digital world, it's kind of even crazy to think that that for such a long time, people have actually accepted that they would be locked into those ecosystems. And now with NFTs, it actually really gives people real ownership for the first time. And so young people are kind of used to the concept of buying digital stuff. NFTs makes that a lot, a lot better. And with everything in life, you have young internet technology, native people as early adopters. And over time, lots and lots of uh, people and older generations uh, will follow. So I, I'm here in the UK in London and I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago from the BBC reported over the summer. There was a, I mean, it's not only the elite art world and, and Christie's and things like that. So there was a, it was a 12 year old kid who was learning to code and, and uh, his father was a software engineer and he, uh, he decided to make some NFTs and he, he actually sold a, some kind of collection for a six figure sum. So I guess it's also, you know, that generation had totally switched onto it, right? Yeah, so definitely, I think it makes everything more accessible because I think the traditional art world, when we think about the use case of art first, uh, there's quite a few gatekeepers, right? So because what, as an artist, what do you need to do in order to have your art displayed at a big gallery in London? It's kind of difficult, right? You need to have a lot of connections and uh, you, uh, yeah, maybe you have to work your way up. Maybe it's not even about the art, but about the connections. And I think, first of all, what the internet does is it gives exposure to lots and lots of um young artists and creators, uh, up-and-comers, but also it gives them a way to actually monetize their work because uh, in a digital world, when everybody can, say, copy or steal your work, then your work maybe doesn't have any value or you can't really monetize it. And so for the first time, you can actually create this kind of scarcity. And also what's great with creators, more in general, is that in the past, you always heard about, say, young or unknown artists that sold their early works at a very low price because they weren't famous yet. And then maybe they stayed poor for the rest of their lives or even died poor. And then at some point uh, later on, their work would become really, really valuable, but they wouldn't, wouldn't really benefit from it. And now with NFTs, they're based on smart contracts, mostly, but not exclusively based on the Ethereum blockchain. You have those smart contracts where you can basically write in any kind of agreement that you want. And one of those agreements could be whenever somebody resells my work, I'm going to get 10% like a royalty. So even if I'm as a young artist, give away my art for free and over time it gains more and more in value, every time it's being resold, I'm going to get 10% of the purchasing price transferred into my crypto wallet without needing any kind of notary or lawyer who will actually check whether how much was how much was paid and whether the actual money has been transferred 
the smart contract does everything automatically. And this is also like a magical property of NFTs. Absolutely. Actually, that, that totally got me when I first looked at the NFT use case that um, it's, it's really possible to make a transaction in a different way because of the blockchain where everything is happening. And uh, looking at this from, from a publishing perspective, it's, I mean, it's nothing new that people started self-publishing their works through Amazon. But now um, people publishing their works and directly benefiting by the royalties that they receive by selling uh, NFTs and then maybe passing on royalties to, to other people that are involved too. That's a totally different, different way of making a transaction. And, and for, for, for Bookwire, always coming from a like transactional point of view, because we are all often acting as an intermediary, this was totally compelling to me uh, that when the intermediaries change in a, in a value chain, it always gets exciting. And I think this NFT thing, maybe many companies don't, haven't even noticed how big the change would be maybe in the future because the blockchain could not only eliminate, but maybe bring totally new players into the um, value chain. D do you agree to that? Definitely. Because, um, so first of all, it gives a lot of people this option to monetize, but it also allows for co-creation. Because right now we're only thinking of like one artist, right? The artist. But what if, say, a piece of art or any kind of creation was um, the work of several people? And then maybe there's like the, I don't know, the illustrator who contributed 80% of the work. But maybe there's also some audio um, elements to it or maybe even some written text. Maybe it's a combination. And then maybe uh, like somebody contributed 70%, the other person 20%, the other person 10%. And then you could also write that into the smart contract that they each get like this share of all royalties uh, created over time. And so I think this is also just a great way to have um, people participate in projects without needing any kind of, say, a contract set up because it's all in the smart contract. And it's just a fair reward for uh, people who are putting in the work. And doesn't it also change like the relationship between the artist and uh I wouldn't say customer anymore because the projects that I've been looking at in, in the past months, I feel like that the, the creators put their, their, their partners, their community on eye level. And then they really say, okay, we do this together. And if I, I think the, the most recent message from one of the uh, things that the ape club, the project with the board apes that we all know, we, because we've been introducing this in, in an earlier uh, episode. And they just said, I think the guy who runs it just said, I will share 50% of the royalties of this new project that's going on with the apes with the community. So what do you think about this? Is, is this a revolution of how, creators work in these projects with their not customers i would say rather their collaborators so i would say community is one of the most important words in nft but also in web3 in general like a lot of people are kind of working towards the same goal right and in order to do that you need the incentives to be kind of aligned let me maybe give you another example it's a bit out there but it really shows some of the dynamics in web3 uh, you know how in the For regular websites, you can register a domain, right? Like .com or .net. And in the Web3 space, there are those uh, .eth domains. It's like an Ethereum domain and you can use it for all sorts of stuff, like creating, like linking your crypto wallet to that kind of address. So if I wanted to send you one ETH, uh, Jens, instead of sending it to some cryptic wallet address like 0 1.12345 40-digit address, I could send it to, say, Jens.eth or to Jens or Klingelhofer.eth, right? And so I also set up some of those domains a couple of months ago. And then at some point, they told me, okay, we're going to reward you for being an early adopter of the service. And so they airdropped me some token, some token that they introduced for this service. And it turns out that airdrop or those tokens were worth like $30,000. So I registered a domain that cost me like $100 to register. And I was rewarded with like $30,000. And that's kind of the crazy thing about it is, I mean, We use platforms like Instagram and Facebook every single day, but we don't get anything back, right? But those, um, but those companies are making billions and billions of dollars. And I think in the Web3 space, both creators and platforms, they're going to reward everyone, not only the people who work there, but, only, but also the people who support the project, but also the people who use the, pro uh, the, the product, like even users. And they even give you, and with the tokens, they don't just give you cash but they also give you governance tokens so you can kind of vote and make decisions on the future of the platform. So it's a big community. It's more democratic in a sense. And so this was a long way to go coming to come back to the creators, 
I think even the creators, they're no longer like the gods who sit up there and everybody is just worshiping at the altar. Uh, but they really have to create a community and really let people participate also in their success for people to, to stay engaged. And this could be by creating a community where people just feel like a sense of belonging, but also letting them participate in your success, either by handing out tokens or by having people buy the NFTs that over time will increase in value if the creator gets more successful. I think this whole idea of utility in, in NFTs and what you're buying actually is not just the thing that you see, but there could be so many things that's kind of lo locked in or not even locked in, but it's kind of included. And, and it, when you were talking, it just made me think of something that I recently read about because I'm still learning about this space, which is the, the bored apes that Jens just mentioned. And I, as far as I understand it, maybe you can explain a little bit more about that, how that whole kind of project works. But as far as I understand it, if you buy, there are like 10,000 of these different apes. And I think if you have one of them, in certain cases, you're allowed to even, uh, you're, you get certain kind of rights and even like merchandising rights or something. And I read a story that someone has even uh, developed this character and has signed them up to a talent agency to do all kinds of stuff. It's, it's completely incredible. Did I get it right? Um, yeah. So I think Board Ape Yacht Club definitely serves as maybe the most fascinating case study for NFTs because you can learn a lot from it. Um, and it all starts out with those 10,000 cartoon apes. And the great thing is like, okay, why should these cartoon apes be kind of like the pinnacle of our culture? And there's this uh, famous quote by the venture capitalist, Chris Dixon. And he once said that something to the extent of uh, everything great starts out as a toy. And it's the same thing with the board apes. So you have those 10,000 cartoon apes. They were initially sold in May for like $200. Everybody could that get them. And they weren't even sold out initially. Like they just sat around and no one bothered about the apes. And recently, I think uh, Sotheby's, they sold like a group of apes for like 24 million. And they're individual apes going that are being sold for like three to five million. So it's really insane. I think from the, um, say, creative point of view, the interesting thing is that once you buy the ape, you kind of own the character. It's as if if you bought the Mickey Mouse NFT or the Spider-Man NFT, then you would own that character, right? Like you wouldn't be an owner of Marvel, but you would actually own the character um, and you could do whatever what you want with it and create your own intellectual property. And this actually gives people incentives to really build up their own kind of uh, fan fiction or franchises and develop a lot of stories around the character. But the whole board a brand obviously still benefiting from everything so instead of only having one creative genius that sits that is maybe the board ape yacht club uh, developer thinking about all of the different storylines there are now 10,000 people who want to make the ape franchise as great as possible and obviously you had fan fiction in the past like i don't know harry potter spin-offs or harry potter fan fiction but not only could i don't know with those uh, creators maybe be afraid of some kind of copyright infringement, but they definitely wouldn't be able to commercially benefit from that. And now this world has kind of changed. And so basically by giving people rights over that, um, you are creating basically a almost like a snowball system of ambassadors and evangelists for their brand. And that really allows you to build a franchise from the ground up. And I think those apes are now have become really, really iconic. Lots of celebrities are using them as a profile pictures, kind of in the metaverse, Uh, recently, there was this big uh, NFT convention in New York, and then you saw graffitis of the board apes everywhere. And I think this board ape franchise is now already worth probably billions of dollars, something that didn't exist six months ago. And I think this is one example how new franchises and, and intellectual property is going to be built uh, going forward. So I'm so glad you said franchise because I think that really hits the nail on the head when you start to look at that, and it's so clever because. You have these 10,000 apes, but each of them has some kind of unique properties visually. So they're, they're super kind of collectible. They have different color skin. Some of them are gold. Some of them have, I mean, they all are totally different. So, but the, it's still part of the same series. So although as a collector, you have all these different freedoms to do something with your particular character, it's all part of the same universe or metaverse. Definitely. And in the case of say board ape, There were only um, apes that you can buy, but now you also have like other metaverses, say like digital land, where you can buy pieces of land, let's say in, uh, I don't know, in metaverses like Decentraland or uh, the Sandbox. 
there's so many fantastic things that say authors can do. So just imagine George R. R. Martin, who wrote Game of Thrones, if he were to sell not only the characters, but also pieces of land within Game of Thrones as NFTs. And then everybody, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you would own the dragon and Jens would own some pieces of land and somebody would own parts of Westeros. And then you can build all of your, yeah, your stories around that. And this would just set off so much, create so much additional creative energy that no single person, no single studio or author could, could ever, um, yeah, could ever come up with. So I think just if, if you build the right community around that, so obviously you can, you don't want like bad people, bad actors to be part of this franchise. But if you can build a great community around that, uh, I think there's just so much that say these 10,000 people can do together. So we've now, uh, talked a lot about about nfts in general how how they function and and the use case of like rareables and and the use case of um, like these new communities like the bored apes that you described so all of this somehow seems like that's stuff that publishers have done in the past so the question is well i'm i'm questioning myself all the time anyway who's the next publisher because the publishing scene and the publishing landscape has been kind of democratized and everybody can be a publisher or a creator today but looking at looking at professional publishing companies what do you think where's the use case for for these companies so i think there, there are many use cases so i think the easiest one is kind of to, just to take the existing intellectual property and kind of resume nfts but just by doing that you can do a lot of stuff you can create the scarcity so it becomes really valuable for collectors And they become really engaged. It also allows creators to monetize a lot better. And so you can give them some more tools to actually make a living of their art. So I think that is great. You can create all sorts of different experiences that are token gated. So people can only have access to exclusive content or to some kind of live stream if they do own the token. Maybe they get first access rights whenever there's a new drop of a new book that maybe they can get it. Yeah, they get some kind of preferential treatment. So I guess you can create all sorts of, say, uh, yeah, like a super fan club and allow really creators to connect, yeah, a lot more with their, with their fans. And I think these possibilities are already pretty, pretty amazing to have this kind of scarcity and also the, um, access utility. But when you think about it further, like, um, giving what we covered before, giving intellectual property rights to fans or even sell some pieces of the universe that people can create upon. I think these are really, uh, some exciting, uh, possibilities. But then I think somebody needs to enable that because there's a lot of things to consider, right? If you wanted to do something like that, you would need to have your own Web3 website where people can log in with the NFT. You need to decide which blockchain you use, like Ethereum or Polygon or Solana and all that sort of stuff. And so I think there's a lot of things to do that are not really in the core skill set of most, say, authors or publishers or creators. So I think if we want to make uh, strides with this, say, Web3 create economy, we really need to build a lot of more infrastructure. And so this is also why I'm excited about what your marketplace and other marketplaces in the world are doing in order to help creators to kind of facilitate entering this new uh, NFT world. I mean, uh, th that's great you're mentioning it. I think the projects, and I, I'm still wondering whether authors or publishers, like, I mean, publishing companies will be the first ones to really get into this. Sometimes I feel like the authors and the creators are much more excited about doing something for their community and for their fans rather than like the, the commercial units, the publishers that are then finally, uh, of course, marketing it and teaming up with, with authors and, uh, and, and agents to, to make something um, successful. But at the beginning, usually it's, it's about the idea and how to, well, discover something new. And that's often with the authors I, i think and with creatokia i think the, the idea is i mean there's it's not a hundred percent clear where this leads at the moment who, who who knows i mean the nft space is so vibrant at the moment but i think creating a launch pad something where projects can take off from coming from the publishing industry i think that's the task because so far i mean you see projects coming up on nifty gateway or other platforms that that allow creators to to sell products but there's nothing there has been nothing specific before in the publishing space so i think what you said like enabling The publishing industry—that's what the Creatokia idea is—is is, is all about, and I'm—I'm I'm really excited. Who—who who will be the first 
want to use it if if it's really going to be like the famous big author or the famous big publisher what what do you think so i think there's definitely lots of creators who are getting very curious about nfts you can see it with musicians you can see it with uh, digital artists and i think they just see the opportunities that this uh, that this kind of technology offers but then i still think that if you want to do an nft project it needs to be executed really well and it needs to be um yeah that a lot of thought needs to go into it because there's no denying that right now there's this kind of gold rush and everybody knows that NFTs are hot. So lots of creators are kind of releasing some more like meh projects, just mm -hmm. releasing an NFT for the sake of releasing one. And so I think creators really have to uh, put a lot of effort into creating something that is really kind of uh, unique, that is really adding value to their community. And I think they can focus more on that part if they don't have to worry too much about, say, the technical part or the smart contract and stuff like that. And so I think either you have big creators who are, say, uh, well-connected enough or have enough resources that, that they can, they can every, they build everything themselves, or they will go, say, to platforms, say, like Nifty Gateway, who have done a really great job at providing some kind of infrastructure, say, for the art world. And in the same thing, Creatokia could help publishers and also um, artists or writers to do some of the same. When when we put like the technology side of things aside for a moment, because I think we all agree that technology is always kind of awkward at the beginning. It's a bit complicated. You have to create your wallet. You have to create another wallet and maybe change some fiat currency into into Ethereum, and then you transfer it to your MetaMask wallet to be able to participate in a project. That's still, I would say, kind of complicated. But let's imagine, uh, I, I don't know, not a light year ahead, probably uh, one year ahead, um, we have a world where this is totally easy to do because. I don't know, Apple and Google are implementing wallets into their operating systems. And so you have a bank account, you have an email address and you have a wallet, period. So at that point, you would look at NFT projects not from a tech point of view, you would look at them from a creative point of view. And if you would like just say briefly and, and if, you would, if you had to advise like a creator or a publisher, you, you, you mentioned that before in your statement, What does it take to make a successful NFT project from your experience looking at so many NFT projects in the past months? So I think on the one hand, at some point, people will just use crypto and NFTs just like they use mobile phones or the internet today. It's just there. It provides great utility and you don't really worry about the technology. Like no one really knows how 5G works, right? Or how the internet protocols work. You just use it, right? So I think at some point, this will just go away. Um, on the other hand, I think you do want to use that technology in order to create some some experiences that are just not possible today, right? Like say in in video games that, or say even with books that you can actually own the character, what we said before, and have ownership over them, and also maybe uh, use them for commercial purposes, um, or even just to think that people belong to some sort of community because they decided to invest into in the same thing. They all decided to buy the same token. So they have some kind of skin in the game. They are really supporting, say, the creator. And I think things like that. So these are some experiences that are yeah, just being enabled by these new, te uh, by these new technologies. Theo, maybe you could tell us a little bit about, um, he's an influencer, he's an author, uh, he's from the US, Gary V, who people may or may not know, but I think he's got, in, he's a super um, big advocate of uh, NFTs and digital in general, but he's also really knows how to reach audiences, build communities, and he's got a book, right? But he's linked it into quite a smart kind of NFT strategy. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Yes, so Gary V is definitely extremely smart and also we're very uh, prescient when it comes to new digital trends. So recently he had this, or he's going to release a book very soon. And he did something very smart where during a time window in the summer, if people pre-ordered 12 copies of his book, then they would receive one NFT, right? And, but that offer was only valid for say two days. And then all of a sudden everybody rushed out to buy not only 12 of his books, but 24, 36, 48, 60, 72, and so on. Like always increments of 12 of his books. And I myself have ordered like 36. So I'm going to receive three of his NFTs sometime soon. And then when you bought the books, you would need to send in the receipt that you bought the book, but also your, say, Ethereum wallet address. So he knows where to airdrop you the NFTs once, uh, yeah, once he's releasing the book. And so that created just so much buzz around the book that for a few days, it was like 
number one on all of the bestseller lists on Amazon in the US, in the UK, even in Germany, in Australia. Um, he recreated that hype. And I think this was really because people were so excited about getting this airdrop, this utility NFT. The backstory to this is that even before doing this drop, he created his own NFT collection called VFriends, where it's basically like a membership club of the Gary uh, superfans. And when you buy the token, you get things like access to his physical conference called VCon. But also there are some specific access tokens where maybe you're getting on a Zoom call with Gary or he's a big football fan. So you get to go to an NFL game with to an NFL, NFL game with uh, Gary, or maybe you can even get like some one-on-one coaching with Gary. So I think especially fans, they really want to have access to their idols, whether those idols are book authors or business people. Um, they really value something like getting on a Zoom call with them and just yeah interacting with them. And I think NFTs really give you a great way to kind of yeah give out those access rights. And so I think these are these are some two really cool innovations that Gary did. He basically created his first like an N- NFT based fan club, but then also um, combined a book release, a physical book with an NFT release, which I thought uh, went super well. Sounds like it went incredibly well. And, and from what I read, the 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 total we're talking about pre orders, right? Because this was uh, the book still not out, or maybe it's just about to come out. But the pre orders were unbelievable and that's really if a publisher is thinking about this and looking at it that's what you want to get right the moment the book drops you want it to be like number one on pre-order and that's what he managed to achieve yeah definitely but not not only that even the nfts that he released initially he sold them for like i don't know 0.5 ethereum which is i don't at that time was definitely more than a thousand dollars so it's quite a big ask now imagine like a regular author asking his fans to buy something for like $1,000 is kind of insane, right? Because that's like mm-hmm. amounts to like, I don't know, 50 books. And no matter how big of a fan you are of some kind of author, you would never buy 50 of his books, right? And then he actually asked people to buy his NFT. He onboarded his community and explained to them how it works, to what an NFT actually is, how it works, how to create a wallet and so on and so forth. And so people really, but people still took a big leap of faith by buying the NFT. And even though I've been a big fan of Gary's for a long time, when he did sell the NFT, I was not too sure about it, or maybe I was just too busy, but I didn't end up buying one for 1,000. And I think today, some of those NFTs are worth like 100K, like 100,000. So it's not just the utility, like you could get access to Gary, but the NFT itself has become really valuable. But at the same time, Gary has committed himself to work really hard to kind of uh, give back to this community that has kind of crowdfunded his efforts because in a, in a sense you could say that they have bought his nfts now he has a lot of cash and he can decide what to do with it and obviously he can he can just walk away and go to some island and buy some kind of a boat or he can take that money in order to create some cool experiences for his fan club and i think that's also a great mechanism for even for smaller authors maybe to have fans crowdfund their work maybe there's some author where you would say hey um i always wanted this uh, author to write about I don't know, topic XYZ, but in order to do that, this person needs, I don't know, three years off to do research or needs to travel around the world to do some, I don't know, to do some really uh, uh, thorough journalism. And maybe this person doesn't have the money to put up up front, but with NFTs, you can kind of crowdfund it. And then people would not only get the book afterwards, like with a Kickstarter, but they could actually get parts of the revenues, which could be uh, yeah, written to the smart contract as well. So lots of exciting opportunities also not just for, in terms of, say, royalties, but also for up- upcoming projects. And that's definitely a use case on the Creatokia roadmap. Uh, we've been discussing this, uh, how, how exciting it would be to bring like uh, readers together, funding a book for, for, for a certain author. And, and I mean, this has happened in the past before, but from a technology point of view, not so connected, you know, like through NFTs and, and the blockchain, what, what, what glues everything together. And all of a sudden, Everything makes sense because it's so interconnected. I, I think that's again well, fascinating about the technology that that finally brings us into this place here. I think there's something very neat, a neat way to describe this Web three thing, um, and it especially applies, I think, really well, maybe even to say people who consume media. Um, like in Web one, you would only read; you would read a website. Web two was about reading and writing. So all of a sudden you could comment on somebody's work 
like say in a Facebook comment, right? So it's user-generated content. So web one is read, web two is read and write, and web three is read, write, and own. All of a sudden, you can own a piece of the work. And so I think this just creates just so much more engagement. Uh, some of it definitely also may be fueled by speculation. I think that's always part of it, but definitely just a sense of ownership that uh, you're kind of co contributing to a mission. Yeah, and that your share in it, represented by this NFT, gives you some kind of financial stake, but maybe also in some say into where this project might go in the future. Totally cool. <laughs> that's a that's a very compelling uh, description. I like that. If if you talk to a publisher today, to like say, let's a big publishing house comes uh, to Theo and says, "Hey Theo, how can I make use of NFTs?" Do you think that NFTs are a publishing product that I have to consider in my publishing strategy for all my upcoming big projects? What would you answer? So, I think all those Web three technologies and especially NFTs are going to change. Uh, yeah, basically all industries, including the publishing industries. And I think for publishing, it's even maybe the use cases are even more obvious than for other industries. So I think they should definitely include that into their strategy. I think they should get knowledgeable about that really, really fast. So I would make it like a big strategy project, like, wow, uh, NFT blockchain 2025 or something like that. But really try to get a small project out there as fast as possible, just in order to learn how to create the NFT, how to create a smart contract, which blockchain to use, what kind of experience is actually compelling like what do i actually create as an nft uh, that would excite my say my readers um, but then also how to create community community around it because i think lots of companies are still say concerned with traditional social media so they want to figure out say how tiktok works or how instagram works but especially in this web3 world uh, say platforms like twitter or especially discord are a lot more important and so i think there's a whole new playbook a whole new value chain that exists in this uh, web3 world and i think both creators and publishers should learn how to do this whole stack from a to z as fast as possible just in order to gain the experience and then to be able to roll out more projects uh yeah even faster What's so special about Discord? Maybe that's worth mentioning here. So I mean uh, I've known Discord for a while now but what does it make so special? So a lot of people even don't know Discord or they think about it as like this tool for gamers. That's for gamers only. So they kind of dismiss it as not, not important. But you can think of Discord as kind of like this giant Slack chat, this giant public Slack chat or WhatsApp group. But it's really, uh, say, well-structured. So there's lots of sub-channels and you can basically create a sub-channel for every single thing. So let's say there was a, I don't know, again, like a Harry Potter Discord channel, which I'm pretty sure exists somewhere. But then you would have sub-channels, not only for every single book, but maybe for every single character, for every single chapter of the books, where people would just discuss all of their ideas. So it's really a very structured way to bring people together who are very, say, uh, passionate about something. And then maybe, uh, and it would not, maybe it would be kickstarted by some publisher or by some creator. But over time, you would find that lots of uh, fans are very enthusiastic about something. And maybe they're like super experts on, I don't know, on Hogwarts or something or about the history of Hogwarts. And then some users would become moderators in that Discord and also contribute to, and then at some point, this whole Discord would be community run, right? So you as the pub creator might start it off, but then over time, lots and lots of people would put a lot of time into it to make it work. And from there, you would build up the community. And this is also how things like the Bot Ape Yacht Club work. Initially, you only have this community of, say, 10,000 people who own the apes. But then there are some special Discord channels that only ape holders can access. And from there, they were planning things like a meetup in the real world where maybe you have the board ape clubs, say, in New York and one in uh, California and one maybe in Germany or one even uh, in the UK where people will just meet up in real life, kind of creating chapters, real-life chapters or fan clubs of this kind of NFT-based community. And Discord is just the place where this yeah, works the easiest because you can do pretty much anything with it, both like text-based chat groups, but also things like, say, Clubhouse-style audio talks, conversations, but also screen sharing and streaming. So it uh, seems you are addicted already. So how is your Discord time every day? Oh, there's lots of people uh, spending a lot of time on it. Um, but I, have, I definitely have users on my Discord who will spend maybe three to five hours a day on the Discord. 
who are volunteering to be moderators on the Discord, to help onboard other people, to help other people, to explain other people to other people how, say, cryptocurrency works. And they, they don't want any money for it. They do have a full-time job working 40, 50 hours in a regular job, but they're just so excited about the community that they just uh, yeah want to be part of it and want to help build the community. And I think this is also something that both creators and publishers will have to consider in the future, that it's not just them putting out some book and then some people will go and buy it and then read it without any feedback, but it's more like a living community with, yeah, with whom you sh can and should interact every single day. Very good point. Okay, so so Theo, you've you've seen a lot of projects um, in in the NFT space now, and we've we've discussed some of them today. What in particular do you like about Creatokia? What do you think? Uh, what opportunity does Creatokia have? I think Creatokia is really just a great platform that helps creators be part of this exciting new world of NFTs and Web three. And I think you have lots of great creator tools out there, like say in the say current space, say in Web two. Everybody can open up their online online store because you have things like Shopify. Uh, if you're, say, a journalist, you can have things like a, a paid newsletter service, like a Substack. You can set up your Substack, right? So that's this whole thing of the creator economy where people are super creative. They want to find a way to express themselves, but also build a business. And they need tools to help them do that, right? So Shopify is a tool that enables, say, people who create physical stuff to sell it as an e-commerce uh, platform. Um, and I think, say, this whole NFT and crypto thing, sometimes it's maybe could even scare people off because it sounds so much like uh, trading Dogecoin and uh, very technical and crypto and stuff. But I think in the end, especially something like Creatokia is just a creator tool. It helps creatives to reach their audience and uh, really make use of this new exciting technology called uh, NFT and blockchain. And I think it will just enable a lot of great experiences that maybe today we can't even think of because there are new use cases every single day, but especially helps creators who may not be very well connected in the industry yet kind of uh, break through and reach the audience and also build a viable business uh, of those new platforms. Exactly. So we are hoping that we can help a lot of publishers into this and creators, of course, and, and be kind of the... The, the starting point for for many projects that somehow then well are being distributed on the blockchain and can be traded uh, anywhere after that so really exciting thank you and Theo, i mean i personally could talk all day about this now that i'm beginning to really be hooked but i mean maybe as a kind of wrap up you know we've touched upon a little bit about what's happened in the last six months or at least so far this year in 2021 and it's still pretty early days and and um, there is a lot ahead. There's a lot of experimentation and the whole scene seems to be incredibly playful. And I think that's something that strikes me that there should be, that should be the attitude of everyone who's kind of involved, whether you're a creator or on the platform side or everything. It's just trying lots of different things, which you said. But what do you, maybe you could give us a kind of a couple of wrap up thoughts about where you think, think things are heading in the next kind of six, 12, 18 months. Crystal ball time. Ball time. Awesome. Um, <laughs> so I think what you can see is that there's so much attention from really smart people going into this NFT and uh, Web3 space. Mark Zuckerberg even renamed his company, right? It's no longer Facebook. Now it's Meta. It's the Metaverse. So it's like, sure. for him, it's like the most important thing. He doesn't want to be known as a social co media company anymore, even though he has like 3 billion users. He thinks that the Metaverse is the most important thing in the future. You see lots of venture capitalists like only investing in crypto. Um, you see people leaving their jobs at Google and Facebook and Microsoft to work in the NFT space, which is kind of uh, insane to think about. I think what kind of maybe uh, maybe stretches the imagination is what if all of those crypto products or NFT products at some point would be bigger than what we know today? So what if Bored Ape Yacht Club was bigger than Disney? Is it likely to happen? I don't know. Is it possible? Maybe, but just think about it, how that would happen. Digital fashion. Is it conceivable that at some point we will spend more of our money for digital fashion so we look nice in the metaverse, that we spend more money on digital fashion NFTs than on our regular clothes? Because now we are in the home office. Uh, 
we work at home all day long. So maybe we only will buy, I don't know, very comfortable, I don't know, hoodies and sweatpants and sweat uh, and sweatpants. But we want to look fancy in the metaverse. So we'll buy digital stuff, right? Could digital fashion be bigger than real fashion? Could crypto games, play-to-earn games like X Infinity, be bigger than Fortnite? I think that's already kind of a given. Uh, could digital land be more valuable than real physical land? I guess so. I guess there are some areas in the world where it's really boring, where not much is going on. And so land over there is not worth anything. And there might be some places in the digital world where it's really valuable because there's, there's lots going on and everybody wants to build something, maybe in this part, say in the fifth avenue of the metaverse, let's say. So I think, um, and when you talk about this, it kind of sounds crazy, right? But in the same way, would you have thought like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago that Amazon would be bigger than Walmart? that Netflix would be bigger than Blockbuster. And all of this stuff is happening. So when you think about those scenarios, you can't say that it's going to happen for sure. You can't say that, you can't say when exactly it's going to happen. But if history has taught us anything, is that technology tends to, I don't know, diffuse and find its way and at some point be bigger than the old thing because it's kind of superior to it because that's just how technological progress works. And so what today is... Um, uh, yeah, kind of a nerdy, super nerdy thing will become mainstream in the future. And maybe I just want to close with another quote by Chris Dixon. So previously we talked about everything big starts out as a toy. And another great quote of his is what the smartest people do on the weekend is what everyone else will do during the week in a couple of years. So whatever all of the nerds are doing in their free time right now on the weekend at night, hanging out in the Discord channels, reading some really geeky white paper about blockchains and nfts everyone will do that or at least use the technology maybe even without knowing it in the future and so i think this is also what will yeah what we can expect uh for yeah lots and lots of yeah industries in the future but especially in the media and publishing space super cool super cool i think that was the inspiring wake-up call that we needed for this end of this episode Thank you so much, Theo. And I would uh, invite and encourage everybody to follow you on, on LinkedIn and on Discord now, of course, in, with your community. And if you're capable of speaking German, then you should listen to his podcast, what I've done many times. And I've discovered a lot of interesting things in Theo's Trends podcast, what is really a very good podcast and YouTube channel. Um, thank you, Theo, so much. That was really cool. And uh, I'm actually more excited than I was before. And that wasn't actually necessary because I was already quite excited about this project before. But I think your final statement kind of hit the point, really, how big this can be. And this should be a driver for every entrepreneur out there. When things could become bigger than what you're doing today, you should really pay attention. Great. So thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Theo. Great to have you. So Videl, that was cool. I, I really like how Theo is making uh, the connection between like the theory of NFT and, and real business. I think it feels very tangible when he's talking about it. Absolutely. I mean, he totally brought it to life for me. And uh, I mean, I'm more curious now than I was at the beginning, like you. And I was pretty curious to start with. So now I really need to know more. You know, what always gets me is is like the conflict of knowing that we run a business that's very important and very successful. And then look at this new kind of business and i know that my business partner john who is with us here usually shares the feeling even even much much more um that this feeling of missing something that could be so big that you immediately have to kind of get this opportunity uh up and running uh, for, for you as an entrepreneur so i share this feeling again after after doing this episode i felt like oh shit this can really be big Because he sees, I mean, Theo sees so many projects that I don't even pay attention to because I can't do it all day. That's the great thing about having uh, having someone like him uh, on board on the episode. It's like having a radar for the future a little bit, and uh, definitely. Yeah. And I and I think, um, you know, in terms of what we're doing with Queer Tokyo as well, is uh, that hopefully we can inspire a little bit publishers and authors and people who are thinking about how to build their. I mean, for sure, some people will be thinking in terms of franchises, but it doesn't, you don't have to make it so intimidating. There are all kinds of ways of releasing NFT projects that can be uh, done in, in uh, nimble ways. I think that's the thing, right? Be playful, do it fast. I mean, that was the big message I got from Theo, which is like, don't, don't spend a year strategizing about it. 
Think about it. Sure, be smart, but just do it and learn and see how everything works. And actually, that's exactly what we're doing with Creatokia, I think. We just jumped right into it. We cut out, carved out some resources from our core teams. And now it's already like a, a, a separate team building this, this new platform. And we wanted to share some, by the way, this is the Creatokia podcast. So we wanted to share some news about, about Creatokia. Almost forgot about that. Um, Videl, so we got some news to, to share, right? Yeah. So we have a couple of things that we want to tell our listeners about, uh, which are uh, related to what we're doing with Creatokia. So head over to creatokia.com. But because uh, one of the things that we're doing this Friday, there's a Black Friday special, uh, special sales promotion for the Black Token. And how many of those Black Tokens do we have, Jens? So in total, um, there are 3,333 tokens. That's very, really hard to say for a German. So many three, threes. Three, three, three. <laughs> um, and, and maybe that's worth mentioning here um, what you can do with this, because as our listeners know, we have just opened the gates of Creatokia, and it's the very early phase, and we are at the moment just selling a, a couple of different tokens, different materials with a different scarcity that will allow at a later stage uh, uh, the owners of the this token we talked a lot about this ownership with teo that allows people to do something that's exactly the case here so the token will allow people to participate and and enter the platform uh, for the first drops that will be coming up in the future so uh, join the exclusive club in the first phase of creatokia and get your token and so continuing from there we just wanted to remind everyone that all the queer tokens are for sale so please take a look There's a, there's a whole collection of, uh, of various different things there. So it's really, really worth checking out. And if you don't know how to buy tokens on Creatokia, please don't be scared because we've thought of that. So obviously we've got some notes and a lot of explanation about how to do that on the, on the website. So please head over there. And last point, there will be a, an airdrop. That means a token free of charge that will be transferred at the beginning of December into the wallets of all Korea token owners. So that's maybe another incentive to get your token now and, and then also receive the airdrop later on. Sounds great. And I think let's leave it at that for now. I think we are going to dive into a lot more topics to come uh, in the further episodes, but I think this one has been absolutely fascinating. I think I could listen to it. I will listen to it again because I want to hear everything that Teo was saying. And uh, I think he had some really good strategic pieces of advice for people out there, to be honest. So I think let's see what we do with it. Catch you in the next episode, Jens. Absolutely. Let's see if the apes are going to be bigger than Disney. I think that was... That, that's the question to answer. That is the question. I will sleep over it and, and then give you my answer tomorrow. Okay, Videl? Sounds cool. Okay. See you next time. Yeah, see you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.